0: Welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast, where your host, Chloe Mestaghi, provides strategies to leaders and managers on how to repair critical issues in security and tech. We're glad you've tuned in. It's time to secure your strategy and your stakeholder approval. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Welcome to another episode of Secure Your Strategy podcast with ITSP Magazine. I'm your host, Chloe Mustaghi, and today I have Chris, and we're gonna talk about the talent pipeline in cybersecurity. And basically we're gonna try to dive into that, that big controversial question, which is, do we actually have a talent shortage or are we just doing really bad hiring practices? So Chris, go ahead and tell the lovely people here who you are.
2: Hi, I'm Chris. I've been doing the Breaking into Cybersecurity podcast for close to five years now. I also support a nonprofit called the Whole Cyber Human Initiative, and where we help individuals that are transitioning into cyber get into the industry. So this is a topic that is very, very close to my heart.
1: So... What is the one thing that grinds your gears the most in this particular uh, situation?
2: I would say that individuals saying either there's a talent shortage or they can't find talented individuals. And there's so many different angles we could take, but let's start with the first angle. Um, For many organizations, When you're hiring, you're looking to replace someone, and you're usually trying to replace a square with a square, but the individual didn't get to the place where they are in the organization at their time of exit with the same skills and competencies that they did when they came in. They learned, they grew, they adapted. So you can't find an exact replica of that individual. Your, your goal as an organization is to be able to pipeline your talent to grow from entry level to senior or um, be able to develop the skills and competencies that your organization needs specifically.
1: Yeah, That's thought-
2: just the, the, the first route. And what are your thoughts?
1: Oh, no, I think you're hitting it pretty well. I mean, the whole situation where you know, we're hiring people for them to be promoted within over time. Right. We're not hiring someone to think of them as a replacement where they stay in one role and they stay in that for the rest of their life um, or else they're going to leave or we're going to let them go. And I think that's like a big situation. The other thing or you said about, you know, trying to fit a square in another square place. I rang so many bells in my head because I kid you not, that's something I see all the time in this industry. It's like, well, we had this guy, Phil, fill this position for the longest time, but now we have Trina and Trina is someone who's applied. Well, Trina is not Phil. So we can't see Trina being in that position because she's not Phil. And like, that, that whole idea is is incredibly disheartening and also seeing how, you know, HR gets involved when early on in the hiring process where they'll be like, oh, well, this person doesn't have a college degree or, oh, this person didn't go to an Ivy like, or, oh, this person doesn't have a certificate in this area. And then you're just basically shutting this door on so many people that can actually do that role incredibly well. Um, but it's just, we have a lot of folks that are also very traditional about when it comes to who do we hire. I And I definitely agree on all your points.
2: And even if we go back to the, the HR conversation and kind of understanding some minimum requirements, I don't think even HR goes back to true truly understand what are the skills, competencies, and abilities needed for an entry level, a middle level, and a senior level person in that role so that A, they can hire, promote, and retain them once they've brought them on, much less bring in a replacement or a backfill. So I, I, I think if you're going to put minimum requirements in, you have to be able to define exactly what you need first because most times managers don't know what they need. You're like, "Uh, we need a security analyst. Well, what type of security analyst? A SOC analyst, a GRC analyst, um, a PCI expert. Like, what are you looking for? Uh, So it really, we have to take a step back and first truly analyze what those requirements are to create that development path for them, and then look to hire, educate, and keep people in those roles but because the other thing is most companies don't want to invest in that continuous education that continuous training but if you hire someone at a junior level you save money on salary but you can reinvest that savings into continuous education which will then lead to increased retention. And then you don't have to worry about the increased recruiting costs because they left in six months.
1: I feel like it should be common sense. You know, like if you want to keep your team and you want them to keep growing and you want to make sure that your team is on top of the latest, that you would want to try to invest in them, right? It just seems like common sense. But I always get like these pushbacks sometimes where it's like, well, we don't have the time to do that. We don't have the funds to do that. Or we don't have this to do that. And then I just kind of sit there like, oh, man, well, you're going to lose your people because it's just it's very common sense is when you invest in people, people will stay because they believe that you believe in them. So if you don't do that type of practice, you're going to have a situation where they're going to be like, well, I can't see a future here in this role and my boss is not giving me further training so what am i doing here now because if there's no future then what am i investing in here what am i investing in this company now and so because of those things where no one's investing in each other and then you don't have investment in your security team and then what ends up happening is you're not investing in security most likely and then the whole thing crumbles
2: And to add to that, uh, another business reason to have continuous education is your technology is continuously evolving. There's new solutions and platforms coming out there. And your competitors, they're not stopping. So if you stand still and don't educate your people as to what those changes are, how they can enable the business with those and how you can push the business forward with them in a safe manner, your competition's going to bypass you.
1: Exactly. And I think uh, some people, they don't really think about that, especially on executive teams, because it's always focused on like sales and marketing, right? But they don't understand that they won't have a product. They won't have customer trust if they don't have proper security in place. And also, you know, IP stealing happens all the time. So that's the thing. It's just like, I don't, it's one of those things where how do you convince people in the room that they need to care about security? And I feel like the only time that they start caring about it is when they've had something personally uh, like happen to them. Like basically that someone went into their social media account or their email and then they realize, oh, wow, this is really bad because now I'm psychologically feared that this will happen again. And I don't want this to happen to anyone else. But I feel like until they experience that, sometimes, you know, they can't seem to care because it's not applicable to them.
2: Well, you, you touch that psychological fear. And that's why you should customize like your training to the individual, to the roles and to the changing events. You see a ransomware shut down a hospital. Hey, if that was your grandma in the hospital and we're a medical supply company, we wanna ensure that our communications with the hospital is properly secured, that their records are secured. You don't want your, your grandma laying in the hospital bed not be able to get her operation because this was leaked, or they came through a supplier or whatever. So you, you kind of make the you don't want to scare them, but you also want to make it applicable to them.
1: I I agree on that whole scare thing. I think that was the first thing I learned when I joined InfoSec. I wasn't in InfoSec before. I was in other, other things. But I mean, there was this one time I remember in the first week, And we were trying to come up with a, you know, how do we position this product in a upcoming like webinar? And I was like, well, why don't we just tell them the facts? Let's let's let them know how scary this is. And I remember the VP of marketing is like, Chloe, Chloe, we we don't do that in this field. If we do this, then people will be too scared. They don't listen. And I was like, I don't understand because I came from like humanitarian and like international like you know uh, nonprofits and trying to get like supplies to people in war torn areas and then then you're just hearing we don't want to scare people because they will get too nervous to listen to your pitch and all i think was in that moment like i don't understand this but since being in this There's... industry i now it's so common and it it blows my mind about it
2: there's being too scared to listen. And then there's, it goes back to the fable of the boy that cried wolf, or the girl like what cried wolf is you keep crying wolf all the time. People are going to go, eh. It's like all the data breaches that are happening today. I've unfortunately had my data breached and accounts created several times this year to. And I'm guessing other people have had that too, to where they have almost grown immune to it. Uh, and when they see that on the headlines, they might not react to it. So we, we don't want to scare them, but we do want to present the risks in an insightful way so that they can make a decision on that.
1: I, I always try to tell people the, the things that always speak loud to people is understanding how much time this is gonna cost how much will this affect revenue? So if you ever have a board meeting and you're like, I need to get this tool and they're like, why? Why do I need to give you funds for it? Set it up as letting them know, well, if we don't get this tool, it's going to cost us this many hours every week to do this. And then also this is going to cost this in the revenue if we don't have this in place. So you really show why you need to invest in something. And I think that's, you know, it ties right back into still this conversation about how do we get people on board to invest in their security teams so then you can recruit and retain people. Because if the board is not already on the same page as you are about security, you're going to be out of luck trying to get funds for your security team. You're going to have a hard time trying to invest in your team.
2: And that's why when you go to the board, it shouldn't be you asking because as a security partner, you're enabling the business. So it's really your business partners that should be saying, hey, we need this security tool to secure our platform so that our com our customers are more comfortable using it or so that our integration with our suppliers is more trustworthy. They should be the ones that are, Helping to support that ask, but going back to um, creating that talent pipeline, there's there's the stage before that. We're I think we're also running into uh, the situation is the people coming into the workforce. Like if we think of it, there's three major buckets of talent. There's folks co- that are pre-workforce, um, maybe middle school those that are, maybe four buckets, Um, those that are about to get into the workforce, those in the workforce, and then those in different areas of the workforce. So there's the ensuring that the kids know about security, know about protecting their identity, know about the potential things that could happen, but not scaring them then educating them continuously along the way so that they do see it as a career option. And I hope just like they have some math and reading literacy before the end of high school, that they have some computer and security literacy as well because it's now a fundamental part of society. Almost everything we do involves a computer, everyone has a supercomputer in their hand, everyone connects to the internet almost, so it really does need to be a fundamental skill that's taught. Then the other thing is, oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, keep going.
2: I, oh, I, I was going to say now, so as you think about your stakeholders that are in different parts of the organization, you or different work um aspects of the workforce, you also want them to be part of security. Um, You might not have the budget or the headcount to have 100 security people. So why not have business analysts that understand security? Why not have accountants that understand security? Why not have clerks that understand security? And they become your security champions so that you have a security culture within your organization. And you can then allow them To share your security message, to be your frontline defenders. And you might not need as much headcount because really security is enabling the organization and they're the ones helping to enforce it.
1: I like that in a sense because I feel like in every single company, go find these people that are quote unquote risk analysis. So they'll, you know, they may not be in risk management, but they understand risks. And those are really good people to have on your side, because even if they're on marketing department, if they are aware of like the hacker field and know like, oh, by the way, if you get like a social media DM from someone saying that they found a vulnerability, you know, send it our way to the security team so we can analyze it and see if this is actually a real thing. Um, And don't keep that away from us from knowing because that seems to happen quite a bit. So having those, you know, advocates or alias, you know, not alias, but having those allies are incredibly important. I I really like that point. That will save you in the end.
2: And, and speaking of of allies, um, the, the cybersecurity force is made up of, of a diverse group of individuals. A lot of them are, are neurodiverse and you, can't treat them all, all the same. There's some that are going to be numbers focused. There's some that are going to be people focused, and there's some g- going to be in between. So take the skills or take the superpowers of one and combine it with the superpowers of another. And when you go out recruiting, keep those superpowers in mind. You Having a, an autistic person help. with auditing where they're looking for patterns in the numbers or they're looking for anomalies Um, that's what they love doing like why not have a job that you love doing and having someone that's excited and motivated to do it
1: I mean we wouldn't have an industry that's so Oh, amazing! If we didn't have neurodivergent folks, like the some of the best hackers I know are neurodivergent. Some of the best leaders are neurodivergent. I, mean, I think we end up going into this field because many of us are neurodivergent. We're the outliers, and that are like you know the the kids that were on the playground that no one wanted to play with, possibly, or the kids that were like the weird ones in the classroom. That's how we got into it. We always end up finding each other in the end. Um. But, yeah, neurodivergent folks are incredibly important, and you need to treat them, you know, with so much respect and understand, you know, the way that they work and understand what would help them be empowered as a leader. Um, And like you mentioned, people that are autistic, they can, you know, see patterns. Uh, They're going to be able to do a really good job on certain areas than someone who is neurotypical, Um, And then if you have people that have like ADHD, you know, they're really good for being able to connect dots that you would never see. So things that you wouldn't think were connected or relevant, they are definitely connected and relevant and they'll be a good players to find that. Um, But also to be careful when you have neurodivergent folks, because they get really ingrained into their work and they are more likely to be, you know, to end up getting burned out really fast So if we're not passionate about our own work um, or we're overworked in a sense um, or we don't see something moving forward, you know, that's going to that's going to cause some burnout.
2: And it kind of goes back to uh, job rotation, having people have a diverse background within your organization, rotate them between departments, rotate them between tasks so that they're not doing the same thing over and over. They're not clicking that one big red button all the time. Um, If you give them different tasks and you find out what they are good at, they might be happy sitting there crunching Excel for the rest of their life, or they might not. So um, at least they understand the process. At least they know how all the dots get connected. And, and you can also figure out like insider threats like that too. Like if the pennies start disappearing and then Bob moves to a different department and they stop disappearing, well, could be a sign. So um those are different things that people forget to take into consideration. But if you also um, rotate those roles, then you have that resilience in your workforce that when someone does get sick from COVID or sick from the flu, like one person's out, the rest of the team can pull together and take over their tasks.
1: I mean, the, yeah, I, there was this one company. I remember learning about maybe about like eight years ago. And what they would do is that no matter what your role was, it was going to change every two years. You might be in a different department. You may be different in something, But they understood that to keep people is also to change their roles. So making sure that every two years, someone is moving into something else, different department, different anything, because people will get bored sometimes if they're doing the same job over and over. And what they saw was that people would stay because they kept changing their roles. But also when you have, say, for example, Frank is out because they have COVID. Well, guess what? Gary who was in that position, you know, you know, a couple months ago is able to take on Gary's work and help to keep things moving. If, you know, if Frank is the only person that does that role. So it's, it's so good to have really good teamwork. Sorry. There's like a piece of fluff. My dogs are shedding like crazy. It's like the hair will just come out of nowhere, just like flying down. Um, but like I was saying, it's so important is to keep people wanting to be curious. I think a lot of people of us in this industry, we all are driven by curiosity. We want to know how far that foxhole goes, how deep does it go, but also how does this connect to this? Is there a connection here? How does this work? Um, And if you're one of those people that's constantly asking, like, how can this be better? Or how does this work? I think those are bridgers. There are people that are creating bridges and they're definitely needed in our industry and start getting them early on. Like, you know, like you were mentioning, like middle schoolers, even some of the best hackers that we know to this day are like in middle school and high school. And they don't have college degrees, people. And search. just thought I should let everyone know.
2: (laughs) Or or certifications for that part. Um, But they're coming at the problem from a different perspective. They're coming at it with a fresh pair of eyes. Like, um, I just want to be able to win my Minecraft craft game, so I'm going to DDoS everyone else. And that's how I achieved it. Like, that's how a new vulnerability was found. Um, they're They're coming at it with different motivations. So as you have people with different perspectives, different approaches, come through the roles, also have them document. Oftentimes within our industry, we have so much tribal knowledge that's stuck with the individuals that do stay in the role for 10 years, and they're the ones that know everything, but should they leave, now you have a big hole in your knowledge. So have that documentation have those people that want to figure out how it works document it as they go um as those people r- rotate into the department have them look at the policies and procedures see what needs to be tweaked as that new tracking device gets added to the system and no one no one updated the documentation um, these are all things that we get so busy focused on our day to day that we don't want to do the mundane documentation, but that's what can help you in a time of disaster as well is being able to say, oh, this does connect to that here. This is how it functions. And this is what we need to do to to secure it.
1: Yeah, I feel like when you have like good one-on-ones with your managers, so if you have one like every week for like 15 minutes even, being on the same page about the stuff that you're working on, but also letting them know what are the things that you love about your job and what are the things that you really, really don't like about your job. Because we all are <laughs> going to do things that we don't like to do for our job because that's having a job, you know. But the thing is, is to always try to see if there's a way where you can minimize the areas where, like, you don't like as much. Or to find ways of working with a manager to figure out how you can make that even shorter amount of your time. I think that's one of those things I think that we can all do better on. Because, you know, keeping up with incident response plans, no one wants to do that, you know. And so what's one way how we can take care of that? (laughs) find that one or two people on your team that actually would love to keep up to date with that incident response plan and make them responsible for it. Don't just be like, okay, Joe, you're going to do it. You know, just find out on the team who would be wanting to do that and have two, two people. Uh, uh,
2: Yes. Uh, segregation and duties and role rotation. Uh, but Back to what you were saying before. Um, sometimes I've been told that I, I run on the treadmill to eat the ice cream at the end. And that that's like doing the everyday tasks to, to get that one project that you love. Um, have, pe- have that ice cream at the end that people can enjoy their role. Um, maybe they want to go out and experiment with a new technology you don't know how that technology can help enable your organization without someone understanding how it works. Uh, That's why today you have lots of people that are looking at at AI and generative AI and and understanding all the potentials. And then you also have people going, okay, well, how can we enable this in a safe way to allow that potential but not that increased risk at the same time. So you, you wanna have curious people on both aspects of it. A, how does it work? And then B, how do you secure it? Or how can we make it work with the less risk as possible? Um, encrypting the API that goes to it, um, providing Uh, <laughs> synthetic data that's the word I was looking for um, but yes A- and that's why new entrants into the job field tend to be the ones that pick up those new and emerging topics because often they're the ones that create it they're the generation that creates those and they'll be more comfortable with them so y- you want to be able to be continuously recruiting and Um, Bringing on talent to your team.
1: Absolutely on that. I think one of my favorite things that I do for a living is doing strategy sessions. So what I'll do is I'll get a bunch of people on the security team to sit in a room without their boss, and we'll just talk about like what do you need, what would help you, well how would help the security team in general, what would you guys need, and it's always interesting because. What ends up happening is they will tell me what their things are. It's kind of like a demands. What's your demands to make this work? And then you bring it to the leaders and then you're like, okay, these are the demands on the team. This is their ideas. Why are we not doing these things? Can we do any of these things? What things can we go? And then you take that list that they're okay with, you know, and then you go back to the other team and you're like, all right, so I'll talk to them. This is what they are saying. We can have this tool. We could try this out but no on this. And then the the team will be like, uh, okay, I like where this is going, but I want this thing. And this is the reason why. And then I'm like, okay, give me your, what would be the ROI on this front? And then they tell me their ROI and then I go back to the leaders and I'm like, all right, we have to get this thing in and then we're good. And yeah, it's always interesting because I feel like strategy sessions with your team is where you're going to learn what is needed. Just ask your people, what do you need from me? How can I be a better, you know, manager? And I want to say coach, because at the end of the day, it's really being a coach. That's what your job is, is to be a coach, not to delegate task. Well, you are delegating tasks, but you're not dictating tasks, I would say. You're working with them.
2: Hopefully you're not micromanaging. Right?
1: And I think that's like one of the main issues in our field is that we always take the most technical person on the team. We're like you're really good at what you do. We're going to make you into a manager of people. And then you get this person on and then they're like micromanaging folks. And then you're just like, oh, this was not a good idea because now you're losing people and people are getting burned out. So I always just tell people like, you know, if you want a really good lessons on how to be a good boss or a good manager, watch Ted Lasso. I'm obsessed with this show. (laughs)
2: i i love the show as well but speaking about that um i think a lot of companies have learned that as people grow they don't always have to become people managers you're going to have coaches like you said that are able to grow and guide the team and then you'll have technical people that are able to innovate that are able to stay technical but please don't put them in charge of people um they will drive your people crazy plus they really don't want the overhead of doing performance reviews or uh, sitting down and creating development plans. They're happy to create a technical strategy for your organization, but they can't figure out how people work to create a development strategy for your new hire. So create different paths and roles for individuals within your company. And you mentioned something earlier, and I wanted to touch on it with regards to how um, people come into the organization. Don't just focus on one place. I think we met through the Diana Initiative, and that's a great place to find amazing people. But if you're always, say, looking at DEF CON for the next technical person, and you don't or wander across the street to the Diana Initiative, okay. you're not going to, you're, you're gonna keep getting the same results over and over. So um, where I was going with that is expand your horizons, recruit from different places, and then have your people really be the ones recruiting for you because they know people, they know people, and they're frankly a much better judge of talent than some of the hiring folks.
1: Yeah, I think definitely on that whole thing about, you know, if you're going, if you're doing the same actions, you're going to get the same results. It's not going to just change. You have to get outside your bubble. And that whole diversifying, I think, is one of those incredibly unique points that our industry really struggles with still to this day. I think that's a that's a really big deal, especially when we talk about the skill shortage And in all this, a lot of people tend to reframe from actually having the real conversation, which is that, hey, if you are a woman or a person of color and you apply for a role, the chances are if it was just you and that one other person, you have a zero chance of going forward. And I think that's really scary. I remember when a couple of years into cybersecurity and I wanted to see how bad the situation was. So I basically created two resumes, they're pretty much identical. One was Cody, one was Chloe, and I submitted them around, same jobs. And what ended up happening was I got callbacks for Cody, but I got zero callbacks for Chloe. And that stuff still frightens me to this day is how, how prolific is this situation? And when we talk about a skill shortage, I wonder how many people that are marginalized are not being able to move forward in the process because of their name on their resume or their background when they look them up on LinkedIn.
2: Uh, I was speaking with an executive recruiter uh, a couple years back and she was sharing one of her clients and she's like, here's Jack's resume, but it was Jacqueline. And they actually have gone, went to the stage of saying, oh, Jack, J-A-C, rather than Jacqueline. um, Oh, they just call me Jack. And how that would get them more responses than not. And it it is a sad faith. And we, we do have to change that. But the only way to change that is to recognize it and have a conversation about it.
1: I think that's the whole thing, right? If we want to fix this situation, we have to have these uncomfortable conversations. We have to be able to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think that's like one thing is I feel like if we focus on that as one of the parts, I think that could really help solve this skill shortage issue or problem because at the end of the day, it's a human problem. I think more than anything.
2: Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate the chance to have
1: this
2: amazing conversation.
1: It's always lovely to have you on here. And thank you for being on here. And I will have to get you back on. I think in the summer, we're, we're going to have you back on here. So thanks so much. And everyone, I'll see you in the next episode. Take care.
2: Thank you
0: all. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Secure Your Strategy podcast with Chloe Mastagi, part of the ITSB Magazine podcast network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.